Welcome to the Unearthed Man podcast, the journey of becoming a conscious man. Hey all, Stephen here, and welcome to episode 62 of the Unearthed Man podcast. Now, how good was the chat last week with James? I always love it when we both have moments of clarity during a podcast episode about what has occurred in our lives post the interview, um, and also how James described it, sorry, post the interview, James pretty much described it as almost a form of therapy, which is interesting um, when we all have some post-interview conversations. Now, definitely that's something I'll agree with him on that, because I find after I've had that chat with guys that I feel I've had a bit of a therapy session as well, so um, a lot of value comes out of it. So now recently I've had the opportunity to spend time in the company of an Aboriginal man. The one thing that struck me was how softly spoken he was. This was further iterated by a conversation with Anthony Hayward, who appeared on episode 59 of the podcast. When I further explored this, looking back over previous conversations I have had and the information contained in the books I've read, it is evident that the First Nations peoples are a gentle, quietly spoken nation of people. History through their storylines will tell they lived amicably and in peace with the neighbouring mobs. Sure, there was times of conflict, and some mobs were more prominent than others. However, there was no real territorial wars that we have witnessed in Western and Eastern societies. Now, sitting in the company of First Nations people and yarning about life today and and what it must have been like thousands of years ago is an absolute pleasure. It's on this point I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the unceded land and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So another shout out to our great sponsor at Surf Coast Wellness Rooms based in Torquay, Victoria, Australia. As men, we spend much time looking after and caring for others and very little time on self-care. So you now have an opportunity to change all that. Using the code TheUnearthedMan10 when booking, you will receive a 10% discount on any of their services, including float tanks, infrared saunas, massages, and salt therapy. It's great to use before or after a day at the beach. You can find a link to their website and the code below. Here's a few things to run through before we kick off with today's guest. First, the Unearthed Man community, of which my guest today is a member, is comprised of men willing to support and be supported by other men. And it continues to grow on a weekly basis. So if you are a man or know of a man who's seeking his tribe or his community, then please use the link in the show notes below to sign up. Alternatively, you can message me via any of my social media channels. Secondly, please subscribe to the podcast via your preferred app and leave a review. The quickest way to enable the podcast to become more accessible worldwide is to receive a five-star review. By doing this, you also acknowledge and thank my guests for their time, effort and wisdom. And finally, if you're a man struggling with a daily grind, have constant feelings of guilt, shame or anxiety, feeling irritated or frustrated and lost track of who you are, and have a deep inner sense that there's more to life than this, then expressions of interest for my eight-week men's program is now open. I'm only taking 10 men into each eight-week program this year, so if you are interested, click the link below to join the wait list as it's filling fast. Alrighty, now on to today's episode. My guest, after working for 10 years in operational law enforcement, moved into the corporate world. With open eyes, hit the ground running and went back to university, and some would argue he's never left. He knew it was time for a change and to reset. These changes included re-baselining values and ways of working. In this approach, he combined learning from Stoicism, Buddhism, and the value of attachment with a decision-making model from the Defence Force. One of his greatest projects is building the confidence, capacity, and capability of those around him. Welcome to the Unearthed Man podcast, Andrew Webster. Hey, Andy, how are you, mate? Good, Stephen. Great to be here. I'm actually really excited to have you here because, you know, we 
uh, build up a friendship. We got to work on a project together a few years ago. And Andy and I, uh, Andy was a risk manager and I was one of the delivery managers and we decided we should actually catch up, you know, probably on a weekly basis just to see where things were at. What actually took place in those half hour or hour meetings was we actually got to know each other quite personally and we actually probably spent as much time talking about just where we're at um, with shared interests about, you know, things like Buddhism and Stoicism and, and where we're at. So uh, it was, it's awesome to have you here and uh, we're actually doing a face-to-face chat, which is even more exciting because I don't really get to do many of those. So Andy's come down to our beautiful house and spending time. So it's great to see you, man. It's 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 fantastic. Stephen, and to see you in person is, is always a wonder. Um, I do recall with such love the time that we spent together at that cafe in Docklands um, <laughs> with the first couple of minutes talking work and then just suddenly diving into our, ourselves and our experiences and and the similarities that we have and the experiences that we've gone through. Yeah, and one thing that I've sort of noticed over the time is just the growth in both of us. You know, I know that we recently had a chance to catch up at a, at a friend's birthday party and um, we got talking and I know I want to get back into your journey, but um, one of the things we were talking about was just your approach into people. You'd been away on holidays for a period of time and, and there was a guy who, when you got back, was a bit anxious about the fact that he hadn't got something done and just your change in pattern and approach in, in how you spoke with him. Do you want to sort of chat about that story a little bit, just about how your mindset had changed over a period of time? Yeah. F- for me, it's about, you know, sort of, you know, there's that, there's that saying that you have two lives and the, the first one or the second one starts when you realize you've only got one. And for me, it's about realizing and acknowledging that we're here for um, a good time, a fun time, and for those that want to make an impact, to make an impact. But we're not here for a long time. Mm. And so part of part of my sort of um, uh, experience that I've recently had, um, and I sort of had this twice, once when I uh, walked the Camino in Spain, the other time when I've just came back from holidays recently, by spending an, ex- an extended period, period of time away and disconnected from your norm, you can actually just, there's a lot of introspection and a lot of thinking and reflecting as to, well, Am I content where I am? Is this what I thought I would be doing? Am I happy if this continues for another period of years? And so those are just magical moments to have. And I encourage everyone to actually take a decent break regularly so that you can continually check in with yourself and not have to have a moment like um, when I when I had my close experience with burnout. You know, I would rather have not had that. Um, I'm grateful to a degree that I did have that, but I would prefer not to have had that and to be able to have these smaller moments where you can just, just stop, reflect, check in and, you know, almost pull your, your, your life's compass up and say, am I, in, am I heading in the direction that I want to be? Yeah. So the conversation that we we'd ha- also had was that this guy was rather nervous about what your reaction was going to be in relation to a task that he was going to um, finish while you're away on leave and, you know, and the fact of how you're approached back into it. And I think that's one thing for us to understand um, as we go through life. We we get the ability to impact people two ways every single day. It's in a negative aspect or as in a positive aspect. And the negative aspect is something that's probably something we haven't dealt with ourselves. And the positive aspect is that we're actually in a good emotional state. And um, I remember you saying to me that pretty much this guy is really anxious and you sort of said, hey, it's okay. 
it's actually yep. not due for a month's period of time. Um, yeah, and and this guy's reaction was almost like you know the the tension started to just come out of it. So you want to talk a bit more as to how you might have done that in the past and mm. now where you're at with with having those conversations. Yeah, certainly. So ten years ago, it would have been a very different conversation. It would have been a you know come in, sit down, let's have a formal chat, let's understand you know, what's happened and why you have or have not delivered on, on, on X. Mm. Um, realistically, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not brain, it's, it's not brain surgery. Um, so it's just actually understanding, okay, well, if this did not get done, what happened? And it's within, with a genuine level of inquiry though, Stephen, mm. well, what happened? What was it? Did I not give you permission? Did I not, have, have I not provided the right advice or training or guidance? Have I not given you the right tooling? Is there something there that I have not done or that I could do better to help you to achieve those goals? That's a very different conversation from, from 10 years ago. It's a very different conversation from five years ago. And it's w- w- when, when we sat back and reflected on that and the subsequent reflections as well, it, I kind of go, I, I never had that opportunity. I was, I was never afforded that. Mm. When I'm looking at, you know, building people and helping their, them grow with their knowledge and their confidence and capability, those are the conversations that people remember. Those are the conversations that enable growth. It's not carrot stick. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, that. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things I'm picking up there straight away is your language. Ten years ago, it might have been, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And you've, you've actually, in the conversation you had with the guy, was, what haven't I done to give you the support, what haven't I done to help you feel empowered? What haven't I done that actually enabled you to be able to get this thing done? And, and for me, that's such a critical element that I've seen from you that I know I've learned from and I've grown from is the self-accountability and the self-responsibility to go, hang on, maybe I need to have a look at myself first. Yeah. And, and what is it that I may not have done or what is it that I am doing that's either creating this negative situation or what am I doing that's not empowering someone to feel that they can operate without fear or without concern or without overwhelm to be able to get stuff done? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, I love the concept of the locus of control and there's a very limited amount that is that is within my control. Mm. What is in my control is my, my, my actions and my responses to external factors. I can't stop the rain, but I can decide if I'm going to go out in it or not. If someone does or does not do something, then my responses can be, I can accept it, I can inquire about it and support the person, or you could potentially just lose your shit and um, have a hissy fit. Mm. And you just kind of go, well, actually, when you just stop and think about, well, why have a hissy fit? Like that's going to achieve zero Mm. and it's going to take your relationships backwards. You're going to lose context. You're going to lose enrolment. And then your communication from then on is going to be distorted and damaged. And so for me now, as opposed to 10 years ago, it's like, well, what support would I have wanted and what support do I continue to need from from those around me, whether it's a work context or out of work context with my own own family? Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's... um I think to put it in perspective, and you used a couple of terms earlier, so it's not rocket science or it's not brain surgery. If people took a realistic view of the world they operate in, they're actually nothing gets hurt and nothing gets harmed and nothing stops and nothing breaks. 
if we just didn't do that thing. And and the reality being is that whether you're angry about it or you're happy about it or you're actually just non-emotive about it, it doesn't change the situation. And it's actually not going to do anything. If you are in an operating theatre, absolutely. Yes, I can understand the tension. If you are in a war zone and you're there, you know, your actions could harm those of others around you, absolutely get that. But 99% of us live in the urban jungle or out in the country area and, and our actions and our reactions actually don't change globally anything that's really taking place. No. And perspective can be an amazing, an amazing thing. Absolutely. And, and, and it is about having that, that perspective. And for me, it comes back to the, the, the theory around attachment as well. Mm. So if I subscribed and got angry or frustrated um, and attached myself to that example, well, that's like drinking the poison and expecting it, it, it to affect you. Mm. It's like, well, that's just going to upset me. It's going to upset um, my sleep. It's going to upset me for the rest of the day. It's going to upset my, my upset my ability to focus and get into flow. Why, why would I consciously want that? Mm. And so I made the, I make the decisions and make decisions you know, almost on a daily basis. Well, what am I going to accept, and what am I going to just let it be? Yeah. Yeah, I, you you use the word inquiry earlier on as well, and I think that's for me is a really key element. There's two levels of inquiry. There's inquiring into others as to why might what might be happening with them as to why certain things don't take place, but we spend less time inquiring to ourselves as to I wonder why I'm reacting this way. Absolutely, I, I wonder where this where where is this. This frustration, where is my own fear? Where is my own desire for perfectionism? Where's my own, you know, fear of if they didn't do something right, does that mean I haven't done something right and therefore I'm going to get in trouble? And and where has all that come from? And and so yeah, my thought is we probably don't spend as much time as we could. Some do. Um, but others maybe it's a suggestion for people to go rather than when we're inquiring about why other people haven't done things, that we spend time inquiring as to why we didn't do things or what what role did we play in a certain situation. Hmm. And then we also spend more time wondering what other people are thinking that's none of our business. Mm. There's a good old hallmark greeting card of you 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 go into debt to buy things to to impress people that you don't like that that don't think about you. And for me it's it it's it's a very similar premise, Stephen. It's like, well, I, I I don't want that negativity. I don't want that overdraft. I don't want that thought in my head. And if someone likes me, great. If someone doesn't like me, okay, cool, not a problem. N- not everyone does, and I am at peace with that. Mm. But I'm not going to think about and wonder and lay awake at night going, why doesn't that person or why does that person think that way? Yeah. So were a person that always had that mindset? No. Or is that something – that that's sort of you're Absolutely. now getting to in this situation. Yeah, no. So that that's I'm not going to say relatively new, but it's certainly a lot being um, being refined. Mm. Um, I took um, a couple of months leave. I think I was away for about two months back in the early 2010s, um, and walked the Camino de Santiago across Spain. So you walk from coast to coast across Spain, and 
Some days it's just walking 30, 35 kilometers to an open plain with your back, with your pack on your back and you just walk to the next village and stay the night, rinse and repeat. And if you do the full journey, it's about an eight week. Okay. But I, I did a, a three week. I sort of started in the middle of Spain. So I um, I want to go back and finish the part where you cross the Pyrenees, but there's a, about four weeks or so just walking open plain. And for timing wise, I just started uh, at a city called Leon and then walk, walk to the end. And that was, that for me was a real big game changer for me in terms of some of my mindset, my thinking and my approach to life and really sort of um, resetting my own internal compass. So mm. before then I was a, a different person and I'm not saying you'll have, um, you know, instant change overnight. It's certainly not a Pantene commercial, but <laughs> it certainly does help when you, when, it certainly does help because it's just you and your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and then you can really just do a lot of thinking. And the scenery is beautiful and it's amazing. Is it inspirational? Absolutely. Is it hard work? Absolutely. Mm. Is it worth it? Yep. And that's why in Spain a lot of particularly walking the last 100 kilometres is the Spanish version of coming of age. So right. particularly a lot of young men will go um, and, it's, and, and uh, a lot of young people now will go and particularly walk the last four days, which is about 100 kilometres, um, because it is such a really interesting semi-magical experience yeah but before then yeah like i said i was a very different person and i was talking to my husband and it turns out that before we even knew each other we lived six houses away from each other right okay five houses up one street back and we were neighbors for about effectively neighbors for about three or four years and we we were talking the other day about well isn't it isn't it interesting that we were so close but we we never met we didn't know each other and both of our responses almost in, in sync were like, but you wouldn't have liked me then, or I was a different person then, or we wouldn't have got we wouldn't have have gotten along then. Yeah, and I think that's just everyone just has their own their own journey, their own story, their own growth. But definitely back then, it was I was a different person, and you grow and you mature and you work out what's important to you and and and, and what's important to life. Yeah. Um. So. Just a point. Maturity doesn't actually equal age either. Absolutely, you, you not. can have some very mature young people who have started to, you know, take control of their own emotions and deal with their stuff. Um, and then some of us older generation, it probably took us a little bit longer to get there. But you know, I would say I'm maturing now, so I'm like getting that nice red wine. Yeah. When you went uh, on that journey. And because one of the, the themes that pop up a few times on the podcast we chat about is the difference between solitude and isolation. So when you went on that journey, was the initial tent that you had to get away and you just needed to be isolated or was this a deliberate, I need to get time and solitude on my, my, on my own to actually go and discover who I am? Uh, I, I would say more solitude. Yep. It definitely wasn't isolation because uh, I went – I went at that time with a mate and, and, and we did the walk together. Um, now, it was more solitude and more of a challenge as well. Mm. Like, this is something that I don't normally do. I was a scout growing up, so I was familiar with hiking, familiar with camping. But walking across a foreign country where you don't speak the language, where you read stories about people saying, well, you know, I the, the there were so many it, – it, it's effectively a pilgrimage yeah. um, of St. James. So, I'll refer to it as a pilgrimage, although I didn't do it for religious reasons where sometimes if, if there's a lot of pilgrims, when you get to your town that you're going to stop at, there may, there may not be a bed. Mm. And so you may be sleeping on the ground, in a street, in a barn, uh, in the forest on the side of the road. Yeah. And so for me, it was really st- stepping out of 
the old me that was that would plan spontaneous fun. One of my aunties would joke that I would plan spontaneous fun <laughs> because I was so everything's everything's on a to do list. Every jar has a label, all those mm. sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was just kind of okay. Well, how you know this? This is not what I want in in ten years. So, what's a step that I can take to really get me out of that comfort zone? Yeah. I, so I like it. Was, it. it was yeah. almost immersion as opposed to isolation. Well, the, the interesting you talk about, um, the thing that came up in my mind is there's this rites of passage that we've lost in Western society. But you're right. Say so in Spain, you know, that last 100 kilometers is the way a boy becomes a man. You know, and in other cultures, it's going out and spending four days with water only, you know, sleeping bag water or just, you know, finding a place to go and sleep. And, you know, they say in days three or four is when the spirits will come to you and actually help guide you where you need to go and actually help you move forward. So for me, it sounded like there's a, that, that your journey became somewhat a rite of passage at a critical part in, in your life. Is that how you would see it as well? Or Yeah. And then, like, even just stopping and reflecting to, to understand, like, where when when and where I grew up you know for me without sounding like like an idiot like a rite of passage was going to 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 Chadston at 2am in the morning during 24 hour shopping coming up to Christmas like you had to have done that once in your life yeah 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 and then I see here now as a 40 something year old going what the (laughs) like 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 that that doesn't make sense yeah correct Yeah, yeah 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 You always, you know, you always had to, people always bring it up. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's like when you did, when did your first burn out in the car? Like, yeah, absolutely. Look, look at me, it's a rite of passage, but it's actually, it's just a boy being a boy. Yeah. It's not just because you're licensed, you're like, hey, I've done a burnout, I can control a car, I'm a boy, become a man. You're just a boy, it's actually just still becoming a boy and working way through. So let's take, let's journey back then. So, you know, so that's 2010, which is, you know, 13 years ago. So how did where, where did your journey like in life start? What did it actually look like for you? You know, as a young guy growing up, you know, family life and everything else. You know, what did that you know, primary school, secondary school? You know, can we go back through those those areas and see? Yeah. Because I know we also at some point you dropped into law enforcement, which I think is, I know you can't go into detail on that because of the nature of it. But yeah, there's also elements of that we'd like to explore. Or I'd yeah. like to explore. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I had a very atypical. Um, uh, Australian, uh, well, yeah, well, um, for want of a better word, experience. So I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, went th- went to a, a religious primary school. It was the family was not overly religious, but religious at, at that time. Um, and that was just across the road from home, which was which was a very very short commute. And then went on to one of uh, to Vermont Secondary College, which was the the high school in the area. Um, and and so went through there. Um, it, high school was, I mean, primary school was primary school. Um, there's sort of nothing material around that. High school w- was a very different experience for me. Okay. I, I relate to Gary Vay's um, comments that that he didn't fail school, school failed him. Yep. Um, at, at the time that I was at this school, the, it was very sports focused and being not um, overly sporty um, and not a really deep academic there's this sort of the, the middle bell, um, the, so the middle part of the bell curve yep, yep. that you can just get washed away in. Yeah. Um, and 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 I feel that I definitely fell into that. Um, I didn't I didn't enjoy school particularly. Okay. Um, I I did the subjects that I wanted to do. Um, 
yeah, finished year 12, I was looking at leaving early and doing a chefing apprenticeship um, and be- becoming a chef and working in kitchens and traveling. Mm-hmm. And then uh, w- uh, there were a few teachers that were really pivotal in, in those, in that early stage of my life. Yep. One of them was a career counselor who was like, I get it, but just do year 12. Just please just do year 12. And the other was a, a teacher uh, called Michelle Bridges who uh, taught business and small business and, and accounting. Okay. And she actually invested time time into me. Uh, but the rest of the process, I just felt really, really let down. Okay. Yeah. Um, which was uncanny because then I, when I finished school and then started working, I then went to university. And I, I went to university. The irony of the Australian education system is as a 21-year-old, you're considered a mature age student. Um, so that worked in my favour. So I actually then went without an undergrad to go in and do a postgrad. So I was working at the time uh, for customs and went into a, um, a postgrad masters in criminal criminal justice. Okay. And so it was interesting, even just sitting back and talking to to mum and some others about it, going, "But you weren't overly studious." It's where you know at the time it was like, well, "I don't understand how you managed to get into." To postgraduate, we don't know how you're going to go with doing your masters, all those sorts of things. So schooling and those teenagers' years were were certainly interesting. Um, yeah, the whole the the, the coming of age, the, the 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 rite of passage, we we don't really have that. No. Um, and if there were something like that back in our community, back in our back in that time, I often wonder what would be different. Yeah. But I also acknowledge, well, I can't change the past. Hmm. So I'm just going to continue to look forward. Yeah, yeah. But you've got, um, you know, um, through your relationship and everything else, you've got sort of a version of adopted kids and you've actually yep. got, you know, um, I suppose on the, what the right way to put it, almost donated kids. So you you guys have donated so others, other families could have babies and everything else. Yep. So, so is there an opportunity even in that space? I mean, how would you see that? Because you've got, you know, nephews, nieces, different people growing up. Like, how would you now apply a rite of passage? Like, if there's something you could change in their life, what do you think we would look to do to actually help them understand a rite of passage? So, for me, the rite of passage is based around an experience. Mm-hmm. And what I see at the moment with um, with with uh, friends and friends as kids and, and the like um, is that it can be very materialistic. And what what we try to do with our families and our nieces and nephews, we being Paul and I, is it's about experiences. Mm. So we're not going to buy you a Barbie. We're not going to buy you a new truck. We're going to do something. We're going to take you somewhere. We're going to experience something. Yeah. So whether it's going to Werribee Zoo and feeding the giraffes or we took one of our nieces recently for her birthday to um, an, an exhibition at the gallery. We're taking uh, some of our nephews to the basketball and spending time with them actually with them yes, is, yep. is the experience. And I think at the moment in our society, that's the closest we're going to get to a rite of passage is actually spending time with the elders, spending mm. time with the people that are within your family or, or, your, or your chosen family and sharing that love and that connection and that knowledge. Yeah. Yep. I love being able to, um, to sit down with the family on a Wednesday and, you know, talk to the kids about school and ask and, and answer questions that they have. That for me is quality bonding time that I experienced when I was growing up with my uncles and aunties. Okay, yep. And it's it's a little sad where we see so many kids just attached to devices. Yep. And I understand and I can appreciate at times 
it's just you choose the battle, win the war. But when I think about the times that I had growing up, playing with my uncles and aunties, mm. um, learning from them, asking questions, helping them in the kitchen, helping them out in the garden, uh, even with my grandparents, like th- those memories are irreplaceable. Yeah, yeah. I, I could not agree more. I mean, that was my whole lifestyle. I mean, you had you know, one telly with two television stations, so there's nothing to watch there anyway, and there's no such thing as devices, so you were out and about and you're doing things. Yeah, it was jump on your bike, be home by five. Yeah, 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 exactly right. You might duck in somewhere during the day because you actually got hungry. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. or to someone's house during the or day. Or to someone else's house. <laughs> that's say, right, yeah, yeah. I, um, Mum said I can have a sandwich, thanks. Yeah, yeah that's right, exactly. Um, I, so you grew up as a twin. Yes. So it's, um, yourself and Luca. Yep. Um, what was that experience like for you? Because, um, you know, you're not really identical twins. Fraternal. Fraternal twins, yep. So was that did that your relationship? How did that sort of, you know, transpose across? Was there competition? Just really intrigued. It's, it's interesting because when people ask you what's it like being a twin, my first response is I don't know anything else though. Sure. So – I don't know what it's. I don't know what it's not like to be a yeah, twin. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that there are twins in the family, and so my mum and dad were very conscious that whilst we were, you know, from day dot until sort of you know kindergarten, it was always the twins, mm. and they wanted to make sure that we had our own identities. So it was the boys. Mm. Um, and so part of that is, you know, mum would make sure that we were in different classes as much as we could until we got to high school, where you got to choose your electives, and then there were a few classes that were in yeah. together. But it was really about having both of us develop individually mm. versus collective as the twins. I think being fraternal helped. Yeah, uh, I think identical twins can can have it rough. Yeah. Um. But growing up, you know, we had our own little secret language. Um. He can Luca can just make a face, and I just lose it laughing. So we have a very 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 close relationship. Yeah. It wasn't always. Um. But but we do now, which is which is amazing. Um. And by by saying, you know, not always, you know, the, the typical, you know, growing up with siblings. Yeah. You know, some you know, sometimes the, the there's a there's a bump in the road, if you will. Um but yeah, I just I love having Luca in my life and um he's 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 one of my one of my family. Yeah. And um, one yeah. of my chosen family. And having a twin it's it's knowing that there's someone else that's there. Mm. Um yep. and although we're fraternal, um, yeah, there, there is a there is a stronger connection. Yeah, cool. Which is but great. The reason why I asked that question wasn't wasn't about hey, do you know any different from being a twin? It's like um, I think exactly what you touched on. There's there's a risk that at you you be seen as an individual. There's two people actually be seen as individuals because they end up being dressed the same and look the same and and all these sorts of things. And you know, and that can create an identity crisis a little bit later on because mm. it's like, well, who am I as Andrew Webster, the individual, not? Andrew the twin or Andrew this or part of the, the the twins type of thing. So it was more coming from that angle about, you know, which I think you covered off about, you know, your parents were really good at helping maintain, you know, sense of you're just two brothers. Yeah. Just having to be born at the same time yeah. or very similar time frames. No different to any other sibling. You just had this sibling relationship. Yeah. We had, you know, we had T-shirts with our names on them when we were young because we were almost identical growing okay. up, yep. younger. Um, and then my hair went dark. Lucas went light. I started losing mine. Lucas kept his. Um, so now, when you look at us, you go, "Okay, you wouldn't say that they're twins." But after spending five minutes with us, you'd be like, "There's something going on here." Yeah. Characteristics are very similar. Similar eyes, similar walk. You know, there's a whole lot of different similarities. Okay. But then there's talk chalk and cheese. Mm. So, you know, 15 years ago, um, 
uh, Luca works in in fashion and is very creative and is amazing at what he does. But 15 years ago, if someone had to ask mum, you know, what you know, what's Luca doing tonight? He might have been um, doing some design sketch work, right? Um, versus myself, if I was policing, I could have been uh, on the streets wrestling with someone, throwing them in the back of a car. Yes. And you just go, wow, that that is chalk and cheese. Absolutely, <laughs> definitely. Um, so, so you sort of talked about the fact that you know, um, husband Paul. Yep. So what? If you don't mind sort of asking, like, what was that like growing up, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, when did you discover that, you know, that you're gay, I suppose. Yeah. I'm really um, bad at using the right terminology. No, I've got to be bad um, at that. But, you know, and, and was there a challenges with that and, and, you know, what was some of the navigation through that? And then, as you said, you've headed into the world of law enforcement. So, you know, I'm just, again, interested because – our audience, there could be people who are struggling in this space now, going, I don't know what my identity is, I'm struggling still in society today because, you know, we've only just, you only were able to get married a couple of years ago. Yes, correct. And I'm going to swear, for fuck's sake, yeah. like, you know, that is ridiculous in where we're at. And so there's a whole lot of things that, you know, um, you just weren't able to do that people think in society is normal type of thing. So, uh, yeah, so if you yeah. don't mind, can we chat down, down yeah. that space? Yeah. Um, so for me, I was um, a late bloomer, if you will. Um, I know some people, you know, have feelings or, you know, can confirm with within themselves at a very early age that that wasn't me. Mm. Um, it's just about, you know, if you, if you have um, – uh, feelings or thoughts, and it's just about you know being comfortable to actually understand and explore what that actually means. Mm. I think you know even sort of twenty years ago or fifteen twenty years ago, it's very different from now. Yep. Um, and so I feel that, and even you know twenty years before that, I mean you can go all the way back to to Stonewall and all those sorts of things. But it, it, I think the youth of today have it. Um, it it's not as complex yep. as what it has to be. Um, I went through the through the self doubt. You know, what if my parents reject me? What if, um, you know, what if they, you know, say, you know, we don't want anything to do with you? Those sorts of things, which it's it's common to have those thoughts. Mm. Hopefully, now as a society, we're moving away from that, and there's more sort of acceptance and more normality yep. around it, yep. um, which is good and certainly important. And there's a lot more tools and resources as well. Yes, yep. I mean, you know, when I was growing up. Um, even in, in high school, like, you know, we had the Nokia 6110 that you'd get to play Snake. Yes. Um, you know, there were no, no resources, no smartphones, no, you know, you know, Google, you know, where can I find a resource or, yeah. um, or even like, you know, social media to be able to, to be able to, to, to talk to people and say, Hey, look, you know, this is how I'm feeling. So mm. yeah, very different. Okay. So, um, Law enforcement, so you finished uni, you've gone off and done, you know, your criminology and then you've sort of moved into that world of law enforcement. Well, yeah. So I actually started working for customs first and then okay. went back to uni. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. So what does that part of your life look like? And as I said, I know that you end up in, um, you know, security security areas and, and so forth. And so there's elements obviously you can't talk into detail of. But um, what was that like for you to go through that process because, you know, being in any form of law enforcement, you get to see things, you have to do things, you know, that can actually be somewhat traumatic and, and can actually create challenges as well. So is there anything that's for you in that space? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, the, the time I spent working at customs or the time I spent working 
uh, operationally in the police force, you know, you, you see things, you experience different things. Um, not not every day per mm -hmm. se, uh, and everyone has different experiences as well. So you can meet, you can talk to some people who work um, at the airport or some people who work uh, as a constable that have had a really great engagement, had have have had great results, you know, great collegiate relationships. Um, and really enjoy work, yep. which is fantastic. And then you'll meet some others that, you know, don't necessarily align with those. And it's a kind of – I was explaining to a colleague once – well, sorry, it was, it was it being explained to me, sorry, Stephen, where you will – there will be a niche and it will find you. Okay. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I don't understand what this means. Tell me more. Um, and this, this – um, <clears throat> sorry – it was being explained that, so, you know, as an example, this this senior constable that I was talking to, you know, really found a lot of traffic. So they would, you know, be, you know, speeding, drink drivers, you know, a lot of their niche that was sort of imposed on them was right. um, was around that. Um, another another constable that I worked with, just there was always something to do with drugs. Yeah. It, would, it was always finding that. My, I think I draw the short straw, my niche that found me was deceased. Right. Um, and death. Right. Yeah. And so every day, every shift that I work, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was either a, a self-harm, uh, a car accident, um, a deceased, a missing person, yeah. those sorts of things. So so when you talk about trauma, like it, it really is quite interesting. So every day, you know, you get up and you go to your station and put on your uniform and your, your Batman belt thinking oh, it's going to be a good day today, I'm just going to get a few traffic stops, you know, the mm. odd, the odd um, uh, you know, stopping someone or, or tickets or whatever. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately for – well, fortunately or unfortunately for me, um, I tend to have a lot of those, you know, we need someone at this address, someone's someone's um, left the world. Right, yeah. yeah. So so how do, you, how do you go about, like, dealing – not necessarily with that event, but it's the post event because there's obviously a lot of people around that you who who could be around like they're distraught and you know angry and and everything else. So, so how do you, you know, one potentially isolate yourself in that situation, but then have a coping mechanism after that because it's if you don't, it'll have to take a toll. I would have thought. Yeah, it can, it can, and it does to some people. Um, a lot of it is around detachment. So this is my job. Mm. I'm here to do this. Um, there was an example, I won't go into detail, but, um, someone, um, someone passed away and I had to, um, uh, be involved with the, um, government contractors to, um, take the person from where they were and, um, uh, bag them up essentially. And it was like, it's just through disassociation, mm. but like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I have to do. This is my job. This is what I'm paid to do. This is what I'm trained to do. But if you start to really dive into it. You know, I wonder what this person was thinking. Yeah, I wonder what this person's life was. Then that's where you can it can get a little bit grey. Um, I know a lot of sort of law enforcement and people who ex who work in some of these sort of grimmer kind of environments use a lot of humour. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, as a coping mechanism. Yeah. The trick is is to avoid the coping mechanisms when you get home of heavy drinking and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I stayed away from. Um, and I know and a lot of my friends that are still in the police also stayed away from that, understanding that it is that it can be an easy coping coping mechanism, but 
what worked for me was just around communication. Yeah. So, you know, going home the end of the day saying, how was your day? You know what? It wasn't the best, but I'm going to pick myself up and go in tomorrow and hopefully it's just going to be um, a good day. Okay. So, so we talk about disassociation, which, you know, at that point in time, um, yes, helps delineate between here's my job to do versus, you know, a set of emotions I could or could not attach to, to that piece. How did you, did that, is there a risk factor that sits around that? I know you're in risk, so it's sort of funny yep. I've said that word. Um, is there a risk factor that sits around that, that that then actually the disassociation starts to drift outside of your job and into your normal life and therefore you start to disassociate from emotions with family and partners? And so you end up going – you use that as a coping mechanism, a quite a good shielding coping mechanism when you're dealing with you know death and everything else. But that can actually then translate into, you know, not being able to then find the turning back on the emotions outside of work. Did did you find that at all or have you experienced that or? I came up against the boundary of it. Right, okay. So you can and I, and I can understand and um, and relate to how, how you can do that. Mm. Um, it's a little bit almost like a tool in your tool belt. Yeah, that you can then pull out if you need to as well. Okay. Yeah, but I think it's it's how you understand that and 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 how it sits with you now that's different. Mm. So for me, it's around a, attachment and am I going to be to have attachment with this or not? Yeah. Versus, am I going to dis- disassociate from this? Okay. So there are still some memories that I can't disassociate from. Yep. Um. You know, the first one of the first crime scenes I went to was was quite horrific. And that memory will be with me. Mm. And, you know, can I repress it? I don't know. I haven't really tried, but I know that that's always going to be with me. The first yeah. time I had to um, um, uh, hold someone while they were while they were cut down, that memory will stay with me yeah. forever. Yeah. And for me, at the time, you go, go, oh, I wish I didn't have to experience this. But I did. And so what's next? What am I going to do with this? Mm. Well, I'm going to make sure that I will listen to people if they need to talk to me. Yep. I will make sure that I talk to people if I need to talk to someone. And I will understand that this is part of life, but I I can take a stand and make a difference in other people's lives so that you know, we can re- hopefully remove or mitigate this as much as what we can. So that's that's how, that's how I've chosen Okay. To deal with it. Yeah. And, and I think that works actually quite well. And, and I think, you know, as you said, you did use the word repress, but I think there's a risk around that. It's not about repressing it. It's about just seeing it for, for what it is and even going, yeah, I might, I, I'll have this memory, but I don't, I can, I can remember, remember it as an event, but I may not, I don't necessarily again have to have that attachment of a certain set of emotions to that event. And I think that's a key thing for, for people to, to move on. Um, just want to, again, I'm going to wind way back to something you said way earlier. Um, because I know I recently, you know, um, reviewed where I was at in life. And, you know, I probably had, I was a bit dismissive of what took place for me in 2018, but I actually had a breakdown. Like I, I literally, you know, emotionally hit the wall and you knew had had to change you said that you had a near breakdown burnout yeah near burnout don't know whereabouts that was in in this period of time but what did that look like for you because i'm interested as to you know what led up to 
the burnout because often that's about us just constantly storing and storing and storing and not being able to we're not we're, we are repressing and we are suppressing we're not expressing mm. and it just slowly builds up to the point where yeah we have this near burnout so what what was that like for you and when about was that in in, in yeah so that was gosh when was that so that would have been um after spain okay um so when i sort of left government and was, was working within industry um and for me i was working with um with an individual that i had a, a, a very different class well i had a clash of values and i could see my values being impacted mm. and i didn't like it and i didn't know how to express it and so I was just working with ridiculous hours um, and, you know, really being challenged, but challenged challenged to what I felt was my core. Mm. And so my, my body just said, mm, no, 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 that's it, enough. Um, and it, it almost felt like chronic fatigue. Okay. Like I was just like, I just can't, just can't move. Yeah. Um, or don't want to. Um, so took a week off off work, which is great, and then and left shortly thereafter, which was good, um, and it was a good move. And then the it happened a few years after that as well, and it was learning that there's another word that goes with if we do word association, yeah. like yes, and the other word is no, and that word I did not know. Yeah, okay. So can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? And again, that was just you know working sort of sixteen hour days trying to keep up. Just feeling like you're forever just sort of, you know, chasing your tail. Um, and a little bit of a value clash there too by going, we're not investing in the people. We're not, you know, this is, this is, this is, it felt a bit profit over people mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, and for me, that, that didn't really align. Yep. And so it was like, okay, something needs to change. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, I just, I, um, was lucky enough that I had some leave, so so I took some leave, um, and yeah, went to to China and studied with a Shaolin monk. Yeah, well, nice little thing. Because I was going to ask you about that anyway. So so yeah, let's um let's let's get in that. It, it's a really funny that that word no is such a small word, but it's such an empowering, freedom driving word, and. You know, and, and when we say no, and, and I think this is where the people please of that and all starts, starts to come in, people go, if I say no, they're not going to like me. If I say mm. no, they're not going to, you know, they, they're going to think I'm being rude and everything else. The one thing you can do is say, no, not at the moment, but I can do it here. So, so it also depends on when that no is and what's around it. So, you know, often we have plans that we've got set in our life. And someone comes up and says, oh, by the way, can you help me with this? And we go, oh, I had all these great plans. Okay, I'm going to drop that and race off and help someone else. I'm going to drop them off. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to do this because I think it's the nicest thing to do. And then later on, the regret starts to kick in because you didn't really get done that thing that you had planned and you were excited for. So you can actually say, no, actually, I can't drop you here. I can't take you there. I can't do that for you. Um, or could we do that next weekend? Like you can still replan around it and you can still work with that person. As you're saying, if it's in line with your values and it's something you still want to do and you think you're going to get, you know, both get something out of it. So it's something that we, we have to learn that it's actually not a bad word. Mm. Um, it's, it's an interesting word that can drive a lot of conditioning into kids though. Yep. 
no, don't do this, no, don't do that, no, 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 then kids start to understand that no is a bad word. You know, so it's it's a, it's also how to re- reframe the word no to be a healthy, positive, boundary-setting uh, word as opposed to a negative, you know, every time someone says no means I can't get something, you know, and they'll get to, you know, do the tantrum and whatever else. So, I think um, also on yeah. that, Stephen, too, is that no is a complete sentence. Mm. You don't have to explain and justify or feel bad. Mm. No. Yeah. Correct. Okay. That's Just right. thought I'd ask. Yeah. And, and and given that we're reasonably targeted around males and also would like to target young males, when a female says you know, that is a full sentence. She doesn't have to justify why she may not want to do what it is that you want to do with her because you may have a certain level of desires or a certain level of intent. Um, so if – if anybody says to you in any situation, no, it could also mean, no, I'm not feeling safe. And so you need to take it for what it actually means as well along that aspect so that we are listening and it's not sometimes it's not a negotiable and it's not, okay, you said no, I'm not going to go through a whole lot of influencing stuff. You know, we're not selling a car here. We're not selling other things. So when it comes to people and pe- relationships and someone's pretty adamant about it then there's a level of respect that we need to have when someone is quite definitive on that yep thanks for adding that in appreciate that so Shaolin monk mm. up in the middle of china i know you've um i remember the one of the first times we caught up um you know i started to open up about you know my journey and where i'm on and you said oh yeah it's been a couple of weeks with his bunk, and I'm like, what the, hey, what, can we talk about that? And I think that's when all of a sudden our work conversations disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> and we got into, hey, there's a, whole not, there's a whole new world that we need to explore here. So, yeah, tell me about that experience. Yeah, so it was, um, it was I was doing MMA uh, to look to get into cage fighting um, in the mid two thousand or early 2010s, 10-ish period, and it was a really good outlet. Um, for me, I really enjoyed it. It mm. was good physically, it was good mentally, and I really enjoyed the challenge and learn, learning. And then, yeah, I just just decided, okay, I want to go and do. I want. I feel I need to go and do something different. I want to go away, but I, you know, I don't just want to go and you know go to Disneyland or you know go to Rome and see the Colosseum. I want to have that have that experience, like we were, like what we were talking about before. Um, and so, just explored different options and somehow managed to find myself down this rabbit hole and I found that I could actually go and, and study uh, Kung Fu with a Shaolin monk. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to go and do. And so surprisingly, um, a lot of the monks are on the internet and so I was able to to find uh, a suitable uh, uh, monk, a, a teacher, mm-hmm. um, who would teach a lot of different things. So I wanted to, to learn – uh, I still wanted to keep up my my kung fu at that time, so I'm like, I want to do some kung fu work. I want to do some meditation work. I want to do some stretching work, um, and I want to do some learning from you. And so um, this guy's um, English name is uh, was was John. He just said, just call me John. It's just easier. Um, his English was fantastic. So I went up and just north of Beijing and just spent some some time with him. Um, it was the memories that I have from them from that time are absolutely magical. Mm. It was sort of minus two degrees and we'd meet in this park and we would do Tai Chi, Kung Fu, 
uh, meditation and then some sort of it wasn't really breathing, but it was just stopping and just being in each other's presence. And then um, he would, you know, teach me something or he will tell me a story and then mm. allow sort of Q&A. So I will just sort of, you know, ask him all of these different questions and really demystify from what I knew as the, the Shaolin monk from, you know, say um, uh, the movie Tomb Raider yep. um, versus to actually, well, what is it that you do and- you know, where do you live and what, where does your inspiration come from and what's your way of life? And that was, that, and that again, that was a bit of a, of a re-baselining, a, you know, strengthening and um, getting the compass reset. Yeah. So, um, so in relation to that, like, did he, um, was he like living in the monastery? Like, is that where you stayed for that period of time? Yeah. So I, well, I stayed, I didn't stay in the monastery. He did. Um, and then he would commute. Um, okay. And then we would meet. So similar to like the botanical gardens, yeah, um, we would meet um, just outside of the city. I was staying in a in a local um, or a hostel mm. style, uh, traditional Chinese style of accommodation. Um, and then we would meet, okay, um, in the morning in the cold, um, fully just rugged up, and just spend the day outside together. And then the early night um, would break for lunch and. But other than that, it was just, yeah, intense, not training, but just an intense mm. sort of 10 hours that you just spend together. Are you still in touch? Oh, not really. Okay. Not really. But I kind of feel, you know, they say people come into your life for a season, a reason or for life. Yes. And I really feel that, you know, he was in there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, is that when you started to explore more into Buddhism and, and, and so forth? I mean, had there been a journey before that? Because I know as part of the bio, bio we spoke about Buddhism and you know, yeah. Stoicism, but is that where that kicked off or you already had an yeah. interest? Pro- probably uh, it was it was sort of underlying. Yeah. It was in the current. But, yeah, just spending the time with, with John, um, yeah, just sort of really, um, really, really kicked it off for me. Mm. Um, I remember just as we we're about to, to finish – like all of our time together, he's like, okay, you know, Andrew, one last question. And I'm like, okay, you ready? He's like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, and I asked him, well, what's the meaning of life? And he looked at me and had this grin and he goes, just be. Mm, love it. And then we shook hands and we left. <laughs> yeah. And it was surreal. Yeah. And that's just forever just stuck. Yeah. That's so- awesome. It's, again, you know, some very simple words that we spoke about. No, just be, you know, but that can be so powerful. You just know how that works. Yeah. Um, in your bio, we spoke about stoicism, and it's an interesting one because it's been, I don't know, again, how synchronicity or how these things work. And I've been in some debates recently with people, not not debates, but this inquiry mode about views of stoicism because, you know, I, from my view, um, you know, my father was quite unemotive, but that's because his father is a Gallipoli, Gallipoli war veteran. And so for me, there's a lot of stoicism through that, you know, early 19, you know, early, I suppose, 1900s, you know, into 1940s because of the war and, you know, depressions and everything else. So people just couldn't be emotional. Like they just had to try and survive and to live. And so you had all of these people who were quite stoic. And I, and I don't think in, in that term, I'm like, hey, I'm not a big fan of stoicism or someone being stoic because it's about um, 
suppressed emotions and, and, and putting them off to the side and not actually dealing with that where a lot of ancestral trauma and these things can come from. But there's an alternate angle on stoicism, which is a separation of event from emotion. Mm. And so being stoic is the ability to be able to deal with an event at the point in time without becoming overly emotive about it. But if that generated some emotions, then ensuring that at some point you actually went through the process of managing and dealing with that. Is that where you see stoicism the from? Latter, for sure. The latter, yeah. So I mean, how's that played with you? Yeah, I mean, the example, like, you know, if you were in the trenches in Gallipoli, did you have to be stoic? Yeah, I would 100% agree. Mm, yeah. Because, like, I cannot fathom what those young people went through. Mm, yeah. And so when someone says, oh, you know, you were stoic or Churchill was stoic when he stood up and made the speech about, you know, we'll, we will meet you on the beaches, absolutely, that's, that's, that, that is an act of, of stoicism. Mm. It, it can be interesting because some of the works of literature, uh, of the literature of um, Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, like you need the way that it's read, the way that I read it is very differently. It's not a novel. You pick it up, you read a sentence, a paragraph, and then you might put the book down. And not come back to it for two or three days because it's still sort of, you know, festering around mm. in your head while you're thinking about it. You can't sit down with meditations and read it cover to cover. If you can, all the best to you, but I don't think you're actually absorbing yeah. the intent. Yeah. Um, and I think for me it's, you know, Seneca's quote of we suffer more in our imagination than we do in reality. I, I can't think of a more prominent time when that is such an important message to give to everyone. Mm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in this mental health crisis where, you know, the world, there's so much uncertainty and volatility and, you know, we can constantly think about, you know, what could go wrong. You know, COVID was epic mm, yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, okay, well, you know, let's actually put the cards on the table and understand what we're playing with you. Mm. Let's jump out of our heads and jump into I don't want to say reality, but jump into the now yes. or the present. Yep. yep. Yeah. I think that goes back to a bit when you talk about it earlier about with your nephews and nieces, though, as well. Right? It's that, um, you know, there's the distraction through disconnection. I'm just going to give kids an iPad. I'm just going to give kids this. And for me, you know, um, I, yeah, I agree at the moment. We're in a mental health crisis. And I think a lot of it is because we – we haven't given people the tools to understand or we haven't given them the support networks maybe necessarily to sit in the discomfort of what could be the current reality. Yep. And so if I don't if I'm not willing to sit in the fact that there's a bit of discomfort in my current reality, jobs not going well, relationships not going well, not getting on well with my kids, you know, in financial trouble. You know, these are reality items. I have two choices. I could sit in the discomfort of those and work through an event versus an emotion. Or I could just step outside of those and disconnect from those and find something to distract myself with. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, Netflix, social media anything else that I want, want to actually do that actually just says, hey, no, I don't want to really deal with that today, you know, move it on, but we never really come back to it. Mm. Um, and I think that is a big challenge that we've got, you know. Yeah, I think are we more connected in society today than we used to be? Yep. 
are we more disconnected in society today Absolutely. than what we used to be? Yep. So we're at these two extremes, the, the connections driving disconnection and, and it's trying to work out where we get the healthy balance. Mm. And I think there's a real lack of permission as mm. well. There's, there's almost this innate you need to be doing something, otherwise you're lazy. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, so when I used to go f- take the dog for a walk, go for a ride, I'd be, have a podcast on or listening to an audio book or listening to music or learning my language or all those sorts of things. But that's actually not active recovery because mm. your prefrontal cortex is still working. And so there's almost you need to sort of recalibrate and go, we're giving you permission. If you just want to disconnect, you can sit and stare at that wall and daydream. Mm. And that is an effective active recovery protocol. Yeah. If you want to take the dog for a walk, go for for a walk. You want to walk along the beach, do that. But don't take your headphones with you. Don't use that time to make all your calls. Don't try to cram as much into your brain as you possibly can at that time. Feel the sand between your toes. Mm. That's more of my understanding and what I take away from, from, uh, from, from stoicism. Yeah, no, definitely agree. It's funny, I put up, I think it was quite a running post lately, which is, you know, hey, if you're reading this, please stop, turn me off now, and, you know, just go for a walk without your your, your phone or whatever it happens to be. And I've, I've learned that now as well. Like, I, um, if I go for a run, there's no headphones, there's nothing else. If I'm going for a walk to go for a swim, there's no headphones, there's nothing else. It's just just being there. And, and um, it's amazing what you get to see. The thing is, as you're right, like one, the brain's always switched on and we need to give the brain a rest as much as we do the rest of the body. Uh, the second thing is that we, even though we may be looking around and listening to a podcast, our brain's always switched onto that and we're missing some of the little subtle things or some of the beauty or the, you know, that, that bird that's chirping up in the tree that, you know, distracts you or, you know, the sound of the ocean crashing or, you know, just little things that, that can actually go around you that I know I'm becoming more and more witness to, you know, even the subtleness in the variation of colours in the in the wet sand, you know, so the waves washed in and out. You can just see, like, almost this myriad of amazing colours, whereas before we just go, oh, it's just, um, you know, it's just a beach. Beige. You know? It's yep. beige, you know, it's, you know, Bit of orange, bit of bit of yellow, bit of white sand, and away you go. But when you really get connected, the subtleties you start to see become really huge. Um, and, and for me, just be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That just sums it up. Yeah. yeah. So um, you've been extremely generous with your time today, Andrew, and uh, so it's been beautiful for you to have come down to our house, and also beautiful to be able to sit here face to face and have this conversation, um, like I do with all my guests. Um, is there a one wrapped up? I know again, you know, you've dropped a lot of nuggets on the way through, but is there like one key wrapped up message that you would like to drop out for, you know, the the men and, and the women that are listening into this podcast? For me, Stephen, it, it's about communication, and it's either communicating with someone else or other people in your life, but it's also about communicating internally as well. So communicating and making sure and having those checking points that you know, you're on the right track, you're following your compass, you've got defined values, and that can change over time. Um, but make sure you're aligned with those. And for me, it's around that communication. So you can do that by actually sitting down and having a conversation. You can do it by by journaling, by scribbling. You can do it by taking, like we said, you know, the, the dog for a walk along the beach. Just being able to 
feel free and that having having that permission to to communicate to express to be able to express yourself is really really important awesome thanks man i love that great way to wrap it up um i think you know outside that message if there's just three words just be and no um i think are very powerful words and very succinct and we can go from there so again andrew thank you very much um Thanks for this face-to-face chat. It's been awesome. Um, it's been great to, to chat with you, and um, I'm looking forward to us maintaining and, and keeping our great friendship moving forward. So have Absolutely. a beautiful rest of the day. Cheers, mate. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. So, folks, um, yeah, what a wonderful chat. As I said, it's so beautiful to have Andrew um, just in the house um, with us. He's um, hopefully you picked up he's, he's just beautifully softly spoken um, he's got such a beautiful warm heart I know every time that we we get together you know the first meet and greet is a, is a big warm hug um, and it's something I cherish and it's something I look forward to every time uh, I get a chance to, to catch up with him um, if you're looking out for, for Andrew you know definitely I know he's, he's very active on LinkedIn so you'll, you'll find him on there um, search around for him on, on Instagram um, he's got some pretty cool stuff out there um, you got, get to see a lot of stuff about his dog and um, him out back riding his bike again which I love but yeah um, awesome man very intelligent um, and has an immense amount to offer so yeah check him out so I think that's it for um, episode 62 as you know you can find me on Facebook LinkedIn and Instagram so sending you much love and peace Stephen <laughs>